0: If you would, go ahead and take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Ezra chapter 8. Ezra chapter 8. And we take up our study here, beginning where Megan left off, reading so well. And we'll begin starting with verse 21. May we hear and receive the Word of God by the grace of God this morning. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, And the power of His wrath is against all who forsake Him. And so we fasted and implored our God for this. And He listened to our entreaty. And then I set apart twelve of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their kinsmen with them. And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God, That the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there presented or present had offered. I weighed out into their hands 650 talents of silver and silver vessels worth 200 talents and 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold worth 1,000 derricks, and two vessels of fine, bright bronze as precious as gold. And I said to them, You are holy to the Lord. And the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses in Israel, Jerusalem, within the chambers of the house of the Lord. And so the priests and Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem, to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river Havah on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold, and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Merimoth, the priest, son of Uriah, and with him was Eleazar the son of Phinehas, and with them were the Levites, Josabat, the son of Jeshua, and Nodiah, the son of Benui. The whole, council, the, whole count, the whole mount was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, twelve male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people in the house of God. Amen. You know, as I read history... I find firsthand accounts especially interesting. even something like a simple list from ancient times, you know what we might call a grocery list today. it's intriguing because it's, because it gives us this glimpse into the lives of people who lived you know well before us. It gives us a glimpse into their experiences, even into the common things that they were doing, that even we do today, but they were doing, you know, hundreds and even thousands of years ago. And so I find things like that just fascinating. Well, a few years ago, I read these words from around 450 A.D. of a man who we all hear about, and you'll know who it is here in a moment when I tell you, but here are his actual words from his book, Confessions. He said, But after I came to Ireland, every day I had to tend sheep, and many times a day I prayed. The love of God and His fear came to me more and more, and my faith was strengthened, and my spirit was moved In a single day, I would say as many as a hundred prayers and almost as many in the night. And this even when I was staying in the woods and on the mountains. I used to get up for prayer before daylight through snow, through frost, through rain. And I felt no harm and there was no sloth in me. As I now see, because the spirit within me was then fervent Now, you may not know who said those words, but these were the words of Patrick of Ireland, or as you might know him, St. Patrick, that you just heard from St. Patrick this morning (laughs) firsthand now as I read that or as I read that myself, hopefully you see what I mean. How this is intriguing and fascinating that these words from a first-hand perspective, they are indeed that. They're fascinating, even perhaps instructive and maybe even convicting, right? I mean, how many of us today pray during the day 100 times? And then at night, you pray about the same amount. (laughs) Well, that's what he did. Oh, it's cold outside. Of course, no Peter, well, I'm going to get up and pray. It didn't matter. Now, of course, as I read those words, his words, they're not scripture. So hopefully you're not hearing that this morning like, whoa, that's the word of God. Thank you. Well, no, it's not. That is a man who knew Christ, who is indwelled by the spirit of God, and God worked and used him in his life. So they his words aren't scripture, but what we just read a moment ago, just a second ago even, from Ezra in chapter 8, these words are scripture. Amen. And in them, we have a first-hand account as well, which I find fascinating. We read there Ezra's first-hand account of all of these things. You're hearing from Ezra, even as you're hearing from the living God this morning. God inspired, God breathed. So we're hearing of his account of returning to Jerusalem. Which, like I said, I find this just so interesting, which is why many people have called these final chapters here, as we're seeing this first-hand account from Ezra, from chapter 7 through 10, the memoirs of Ezra, which is essentially what they are. We're getting a glimpse into Ezra's journal. <laughs> well, as we read them in chapter 8, we saw the continuation of God's work, and we saw what? We saw Ezra leading the way. Ezra leading the way. And so we see this from the whole of verses 1 through 20, but it begins before that with chapter 7, verse 28. And so Ezra says, again, first hand perspective here, and he says, I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. And I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. And so those words there in chapter 7, verse 28, they lead us right into our chapter here where we find all of this starts, this returning to Jerusalem and a returning how or returning with what? With godly courage. Godly courage. Now before our eyes turn To look directly at Ezra, we need to see the basis of his courage. What was the basis of his courage? It was a God-centered courage. He had courage, and note it well as it says there in chapter 7, verse 28, for or because the hand of the Lord my God was on me. The courage he had was a God-given, God-grounded courage. It was due to his confidence in God that he led, and not only that he led, but he led with courage. Now this God-centeredness, it's not a new theme in this book, right? I mean, for you who have been here since we started in Ezra chapter 1, you know this is not a new theme. We've seen this even throughout this book. We've seen God's hand all the way through from bringing back the exiles to Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the temple, to now with Ezra organizing the second group of exiles here. And so the man of God is given courage to fulfill the work of God. And so then we have here the second group of returnees in verses 1 through 14. Now, all in all, it'd be around 5,000 people in this group, including women and children. So with Gershom and Daniel in verse 2, being of the priestly line, going back to Numbers 25 and Numbers 26, and Hattush of David's line. And then from verses 3 through 14, we have 12 families of Israel. And we see that these were the ones that went up with Ezra. And so, what is God doing here? Well, God was bringing about a renewal of Israel. And as Ezra's writing this, he's kind of drawing to our minds, well, 12 families, like 12 tribes, thinking of that, that God is doing a work here to bring about the renewal of his kingdom. Yet after they arrive at the river Ahava, which runs to Ahava, verse 15 and verse 21, Ezra, he conducts a careful review. Now we've already learned some significant things about Ezra in this book. But here we learn more. He wasn't careless. He wasn't, nor was he flippant about his task and all that he was given to do. We see just what we saw in chapter 7, the effect of a man of God under the word of God, walking in the wisdom of God. What is the outcome of a man like that? What kind of actions, what kind of thinking, what kind of way is about him? Well, according to the wisdom of God then, he reviews the gathering of the people and finds there aren't any Levites among them. Now, of course, as we see that, we need to be like, well, what? (laughs) I mean, why was that the case? Well, we can surmise that, like the others that did not return in the various groups, that perhaps they just simply got comfortable. And they were comfortable living within the world and doing the things of the world. And as this gathering was formed, they said, I think we're fine right where we are. So we don't see the failure of Ezra here, but we do see something of the failure of the Levites. Yet Ezra, just seeing the kind of man he is, even the way God had worked in his life and his heart, he would not let this be. The Levites were needed for worship, for service, and for festival. So after sending leading men and men of insight to Edo and asking him to send ministers for the house of God in verses 16 through 17, we read in verse 18, and by the good hand of our God on us, What? God brings it about. And they come. These Levites, they come. And so we, as we see all this, one thing after another, in all caps, we're meant to see. All caps, God was with them. And as we read all of this, we see plainly, and hopefully we see plainly from Ezra, that we also need godly, courageous leaders like that, like Ezra. This is what Ezra was. Now it's important. You don't just hear courageous leaders this morning, okay? When I said what I said, I did not just say courageous leaders. We do not just need courageous leaders. What do we need? Godly, courageous leaders. We need the whole thing. Ezra's courage here was a God-centered God grounded and God intensified courage. You know, years ago, there was a man who had been called to the ministry. Now, there wasn't anything special about this man you know, nothing grand, no unique skill or ability that set him apart. Like when you saw him, you wouldn't be thinking, oh yeah, at least initially, (laughs) he's called to the ministry. But at the beginning, before this man did anything else, his demeanor towards going into the ministry wasn't no. And by that, I mean he didn't do what so many people sinfully do today. And they say, well, God has really got me kicking and screaming to go into the ministry. Well, friend, if that is true, then you have been sinning for some time. If God has called you to the ministry and it takes you years to get into it, what are you doing? Maybe God's called you to the ministry this morning and you have been wrestling. Well, friend, that's not okay. Your answer to the Lord needs to be yes. Well, this person's Answer wasn't, no, it was just a simple answer. Lord, I'm all in, but only if you go with me. But only if you go with me. The godly courage that we are seeing here in Ezra, it's a trust in God where you say, God, only be with me in the going. Only be with me in the going. God is the basis of our courage, of our leading, of our service, of our witness, friends. It's not because you're anything great. It's not because you can handle it on your own. It's because of God. And could it be, and it might well be, that if you are in the church and you've only been doing those things that you're comfortable with, maybe you're doing more of what you want to do rather than perhaps maybe what God has called you to do. Because what God has called you to do will require what? Not more dependence on yourself? It will require always dependence on God. Only if you go with me, Lord, will I do this? Can I do this? We are all insufficient for these things. I'm insufficient for this. And so are all of you. It's only God. We need people like that. We need godly, courageous leaders. And we can learn from Ezra here that and that you and I also need to be ready to do hard things. To be ready to do hard things. All that Ezra was undertaking, (laughs) it was not going to be easy. I mean, the Levites didn't even come along at first, right? I mean, you, it makes it look easy here. <laughs> but he doesn't waver, right? What does he do? He leads. He leads. And their journey ahead wasn't going to be easy either, as we'll see in these coming verses, even in these coming chapters. Yet... Courage is not courage because it's easy, right? I mean, no one says, oh, wow. I mean, look at you. You just ate your dinner. (laughs) That's incredible. I mean, you are so courageous. The way you ate that chicken. Whoa. Right? I mean, is that what people do? Absolutely not. Or, oh, you just did what everyone else did. Everyone else is doing. Wow, I mean that's so impressive. I mean the way you went along with the crowd. Wow, you're absolutely fearless. Is that the way it goes? No, right? Rather, under God and His Word, you and I are to be ready and to be willing to do hard things. Not because of you, but because of God. That's where the courage lies. You're trusting in God to do what you absolutely cannot do. There's a story told of Alexander the Great, which is fitting as we look at Ezra as all this is happening and At least most of it is happening within the context of the Persian Empire. The story goes that Alexander, he was cautioned that the Persians were too many and too great. And so someone came along and they told him, you know, when the Persians draw their bows, their arrows are so numerous that they darken the sun. Does that make you just want to go and fight the Persians? <laughs> you, know, like, you can't even see the sun. The arrows are so many coming at you. You don't have any tanks or anything like that. Well, Alexander, he answered, well, it'll be fine to fight in the shade then. And that's courage. But that's a, that's a sort of worldly courage, isn't it? Now far be it from us that the world would put the church to shame in courage, in being willing to do all sorts of hard things, when the church is not even willing to lift a finger. We are not those who serve a God, friends, made out of clay or wood or stone. We serve the living God. And God is calling us to godly courage in our day. To be men and women who will take up God's word. Men and women who will deny themselves and follow Christ. You are those men and women. To be men and women whose victory is certain. And that, not because of us, not because of me, not because of any of you, but because of Christ. He is our hope. And He is our victory also. And so, be courageous. Godly, courageous men and women of God being willing to do hard things before the glory of God, by the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit of God. And so in all this, as we see all this, what do we see? What are we seeing? What are we seeing? Or we see of Ezra that Ezra does not look to Ezra. <laughs> Ezra does not look to Ezra. Now remember, Ezra was a pr- priest and a scribe. He wasn't going out as a warrior here, he was going out dependent on God. So what might a man dependent on God do? Well, we see it here. He calls for fasting and prayer. So at the river Ahava, he calls for everyone to humble themselves before God. And I mean, we could just stop right there. And say, how many of you right now are humbling yourself before God this morning? That's not easy. Our natural inclination is just simply to be prideful, to think we know everything, to think we have all the answers, to say we're not wrong about anything, but rather God continually, time after time after time, again and again, is calling us to humble ourselves. Humble yourself this morning before the Lord. Not your neighbors, not me. Before the Lord. Now people, they fast today for various reasons. But fasting in Scripture wasn't, wasn't a way for you to help you kind of lose weight, right? Or to get your health back on track. So as you hear as we're saying this, he's not saying, All right, everybody, let's get healthy. You know? It's not, that's not what he's doing. He's not, all right, everybody, get humble yourselves and let's get healthy together. What was he doing? Well, he was fasting out of a longing for God. And a longing for God's work. Out of a hunger for God. You know, John Piper, he says of fasting. Christian fasting at its root is the hunger of a homesickness for God. We hunger for God more than this world, more than our food, more than our work, more than money, more than whatever it is. A hunger of a homesickness for God. And so we don't fast for fasting's sake. Ezra had a purpose for fasting here. They desperately needed God and they desperately needed His protection, really, as they go out in our lives. Well, at that time, traveling as they were getting ready to do, it put them in serious danger. There were bandits, there were outlaws and others along the path who would have loved to have had all that they had and to attack them and to take all their things away. Yet even so, Ezra, he does not call for the king and his warriors. He calls for fasting and for prayer. And so see what he says there in verse 22. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. He was saying essentially, no, We're not going to call upon the king. Our rescue and our help must come from God. And so everyone, anyone, get on your face and fast and pray before God. And so along with seeing that, His call to fasting and prayer we see here also Ezra's careful, wise stewardship. Careful, wise stewardship. Now they had a massive amount of money and goods with them. An incredible amount. And so he carefully accounted for all of that. And he called upon the leading priests and Levites to guard and to keep it. Now amidst everything else, what does he do to inspire their fulfilling of this task? What does he say there in verse 28? He reminds them who they are and what all of this was set aside for. And so he says, you are holy to the Lord and the vessels are holy and the silver and the gold are a free will offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. And so he reminds them who they are, and what would be the result of Ezra not looking to Ezra. Will we find out out in our final verses here, verses thirty-one through thirty-six, as they arrive safely? They arrive safely, and why do they arrive safely? Verse 31. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. And so we see the nature of their journey. It was dependent on God the whole way. A godly leader, courageously leading and trusting God and calling upon the people to be courageous and to trust God also. So as we read all of this, And take up these things. You don't need to read in kind of a detached sort of way and say, well, good job, Ezra. You sure did lead well. Good job fasting and praying. I'm proud of you. (laughs) But we also need to recover our need to fast and pray in our day. that root it's about recovering a deep hunger for god above food above temporary discomfort above reliance on ourselves to do all that god has called us to do that's what this is about it's fasting with purpose not to make you and me feel spiritual But it's a God-word fasting. It's a faith-filled fasting. It will challenge you. And in it, God will change you. He will sanctify you and even reveal idols in your heart and life. And perhaps even, as much as we may not want him to do this, reveal the idol of our stomachs and of our desires. Now, I admit, fasting and prayer is not easy. Nor is it some slight thing that requires nothing of you and nothing of me as believers. I mean, see what they did there, did here in verse 23. So we fasted and implored our God for this. And he listened to our entreaty. They sought after God. Remember Jesus even on the Mount of Olives. He labored in prayer before the Father. It says in Luke. Luke chapter 22 verses 41 through 44. It says. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down. And prayed. Saying Father. If you are willing. Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless. Not my will. But yours be done. Amen. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Friends, that's that's labor. That's laboring in prayer before God. Now, we might not labor in the same way that Jesus did there with the cross set before him, but we're to recover our need to fast and pray also. Praying always and fasting during certain times and seasons and always fasting with a purpose, saying all the while, God, I hunger for you, I thirst for you, I need you, God, I bow to your good will and seek your good answer. How many of us here will do that? How many of you will take up this call? When Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he didn't say, if you pray, he said, when you pray, he didn't say, if you fast, he said, when you fast. How many of us will get in our face before God fasting with purpose, crying out to him, imploring him to revive us, revive our families, revive our church. And churches, because we most certainly need to. And so may we do that, recover our need to fast and pray. But not just that, we need to also recover and hold fast to our identity in Christ recover and hold fast our identity in Christ. As they faced danger on the journey, what did Ezra tell the priests? Remember who you are and what you are called to do. Amidst a culture that is trying to upend and uproot all sorts of things. We're not believers. We are not to be thrown about as the church. We're to remember who we are. To remember who you are and what God has called you and us to do also. Remember who you are, saints. Don't fill your mind with what the world has said of you. Nor of the lies the devil says of you. Rather, remember what the word of God says of you. And you must do it again and again and again. Parents, fathers, husbands, children. Remember What God's word has said of you as our culture at every angle is saying, be identified by this and by this and by this. We must remember who we are, saints. How in Christ you are a new creation. How in Christ you are complete How in Christ you are a child of the living God. You're righteous. You're dearly loved. You're forgiven. You're chosen. You're free. You're dead to sin. And alive in Christ Jesus. You're never alone. You're secure. You're sealed. You're His. And no one will ever snatch you from his hand forever. Praise the Lord. So in view of such things, what might your memoir look like? What might our memoir look like? Lives filled with and defined by trust in ourselves or lives defined by our trust in God, in Christ. Where are the godly, courageous leaders? Where are the men and women of God who are ready to do hard things for the sake of the kingdom of God? Where are you? If you are ready, friends, Brothers, sisters, God will use you. Your simple answer needs to be only yes. So may we be those, may you be those dependent on God, defined by Christ, and who, like Ezra, radically, wisely, humbly trust in our great God Amen. so may we let's pray oh Lord we come before you this Lord's day help us Father as there is great need the urgency of the need is before us It's not only out there, it is in here, and it is out there and in here. It is in our life, it is in our families, it is in our church. And so, Father, we come and we pray that you would help us to seek your face this morning. May you raise up godly, courageous leaders, men and women of God, who will take up the word of God. Not by their own power or strength. But completely in view of you and your strength and your power. Knowing that you're at work in them to will and work for your good pleasure. As they work out their salvation with fear and trembling. So Lord do that. Do that in us and we pray for any here who don't know you this morning. As they heard, there's victory in Christ this morning. As they heard, identity in Christ this morning. All they know is they don't have that. They don't have this. They're lost in all that the world has been saying. They're lost in the meaninglessness, meaninglessness of the world. From one thing to another, it still is empty and still darkness. Still no light. Still guilt. Still shame. But there is life and there is victory in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray May you work in their hearts this morning and help them to see their need for Christ and not walk but run to the Lord who died and was buried and rose again to save them. And so we pray. Help us respond to your word this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.